Hey, sorry I'm late. Sorry I'm late. Sorry. It was. You should see the day I had. Yeah. It's good to see you though, man. High five right yeah. now. No. No thanks. No thanks. thanks. Are we late? Did you get uh, did you get stuck in some traffic? Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. Had a little situation with your kids? Yeah. Maybe you got in a little argument with your wife? Yeah. Was that you? Some you... of it was. Uh, I love to mess with families. So, so you don't like families? Families are the big guy's idea. And uh, I prefer it when people are isolated and they're on their own. So together, people have accountability and strength. Yep. And you don't like that? Nope. So people going to church must really bug you? Actually, no, not really. Because um, for a lot of people, church is just a show. They come here, they put their happy face on, they sing a song or two, and then talk all godly. But it's all really on the surface. And I've actually got them where it really counts. You know what? That's good. I'm going I'm to tweet that right now. Is that the new iPhone? Uh, droid. Big droid fan. Huge, huge droid fan. So wait, why didn't you want me to come to the interview today? You know, don't get me wrong, Pastor. I love to kill and steal and destroy, but I like to do it under the radar. Uh, I love taking people out, but I don't want them knowing that I'm doing it. Has anyone ever told you you look like Mel Gibson? Why the costume? You know what? This is exactly what I'm talking about. If, if I can keep people thinking that I'm just a funny guy in a funny suit, then I'm just like a little cartoon to them. I mean, what, what am I gonna, am I gonna poke you with my, my salad fork? Or, it's, it's all just, it's a show. It's just a show, you know? I only drink Diet Coke. How do you take someone and make them throw away their life and get addicted to drugs or commit adultery or just flush their life down the toilet? Well, you know, you're getting a little ahead of yourself here. I break it down and do a bunch of small, tiny decisions so that they don't even realize that it's happening. Uh, see, it's not, it's not start a war. It's uh, get hungry for power and money. It's not uh, have an affair. It's start spending a little extra time to think about that person. See, it's baby steps, Rob. You can't just bash people over the head with this stuff or they'll go run in the other direction. Can I get a coffee over here? You know, Pastor, you don't seem very scared of me. Uh, is it this ridiculous suit that I'm wearing or what? No, it has nothing to do with the suit. It's the fact that you've been defeated. <sighs> yeah, right, man. Uh, I mean, look at me. I, I'm wearing this sweet suit. I'm not defeated. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.14, John 12.31, Revelation 19, you've been defeated, God wins, it's over. Yeah, but nobody reads that, do they? What was this called? Thin ice? Stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a great video. I don't know. Anybody else see the resemblance to Mel Gibson? I, don't, I just don't see it either. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're excited. This is week three of our series on Thin Ice, our final week. And uh, so excited to be able to teach God's Word. want to welcome everybody that's watching online and, and everybody that's listening. It's such a great opportunity to jump into God's Word. Again, it's been a fantastic series so far. If you missed week one or two of the series, uh, both great teaching, great information, a great resource. encourage you to watch that, to go online, to listen to it. Uh, there's just been a lot of truth 
that has been shared so far in week one and week two of this series, and uh, we really believe and we're excited for this weekend and what God's going to speak to all of our hearts. It's a challenging message. It's a challenging topic in the area of temptation, but uh, we just encourage you to jump in with both feet and, and just allow God to speak to each and every one of our hearts. He has something here for, for each and every one of us. Week one, we, we kind of talked about uh, don't just say no, say help. And week two, what we talked about, just Pastor Rob taught on this, this whole idea of calling upon the name of Jesus, and that there's power in the name of Jesus, and talking about using the Word of God and quoting Scripture when the enemy's challenging us. And he talked about a variety, areas, a variety of areas of temptation. And uh, this weekend, we're looking at a whole nother topic of temptation. And in week, week one of the series, I started, uh, gave you a couple question quick survey. And so I want to do that today because I know that we are such a sharp church. Everybody said yes? yes. I mean, we are bright. We are together. Amen. So uh, uh, we did really good. So I just got two questions for you just to make sure that we're tracking where we need to track as we finally wrap up this series today, this week three of Thin Ice. And the first question is this. After hearing weeks one and two of this series, and now that you're so very well equipped, how many believe that you're completely done and will never face temptation again? Can I see your hands? All right, good answer. Second question, last question, really easy. How many of us think we will continue to face temptation throughout our lives? Say a big yes. Yes, it is true. It's just part of the journey. Galatians chapter 5 has an, it's just an interesting take on this in a couple verses, verses 16 and 17. It says, So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Let me just pause there and say that he's speaking to Christians and he's saying that you will always have a sinful nature. Just because we have surrendered our life to Christ, accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we will always have, it doesn't go away, a sinful nature that's at work in us. And it says the old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. So if you're like, man, I'm a Christ follower and I still have all these, things, all these moments of temptation that lead me to do something evil, I'll say this, you are normal. You are normal. That's what sinful nature wants. That's what sinful nature desires. But now it says, and the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting against each other, and your choices are never, everybody say never, never never free from this conflict. Now, this isn't the best news to hear, but it's truth. And it's great for all of us to understand that our choices will We'll never be free of the conflict in our lives on a daily basis between our sinful nature and what God wants to accomplish in our lives. And again, we look at it and say, oh, we wish it would be different. We wish that, that the choices would get easier and that we, would, we wouldn't face the same challenge and pressure of our sinful nature that we all have. And the Bible says that our, it's, just, it's such a dramatic statement of truth that your choices are never free from this conflict. It's just really important to understand that we'll always have this at work in our hearts and in our lives. So this weekend's message, um, we're we're dealing with the topic of temptation, fighting and battling temptation in the area of moral purity. 
in the area of sexuality, in the area of lust or pornography or anything that involves, uh, that just is a challenge against our moral purity. Now, how many of you know that that's not the easiest topic to teach on? It's not the easiest topic to talk about. It's something that we really don't like to admit and share with people, yet everybody, men and women, in different ways at different times, everybody faces this area of temptation. And so as we we think about it, and we know it's kind of one of those intense topics, but it's one of those things that God wants us to have a clear grasp and also understand that in the Bible and what we're doing in the series, there's incredible resource to help us address this area and and just have life and freedom and all those kind of things at work in our lives. And it's just going to be really, really a great message to teach on. So how many think it's okay to have a little fun in church? Can I hear a big yes? I mean, we do. We, we have a lot of fun at, here at River Valley. And so just because I know the teaching's pretty intense, I want to give you just a little lighthearted example to jump into this, into this passage. And uh, I'll share it this way. Um, is there any, any mom or dad here that you, you have at least one daughter in your house? Can I see your hands? You're a parent. You have a daughter. Wow, look around the room. A lot of girls at River Valley. That's cool. Jane and I have three amazing, beautiful daughters. All right? They're different ages, and they're great. They're a gift from God. And, and uh, one of the things, and it kind of fits with this topic, uh, periodically there's, there's guys that come around wanting to have relationships with our daughters. And I don't know about you, especially men, you may want to take a few notes here, I'm going to give you some really good stuff. But uh, as a dad, a guy shows up and I have the spiritual gift of skepticism, I'm just going to tell you. I just, I just do. I have this idea, this thought, I can, I, and probably because I can remember how I was, right, when we were 16, and that's probably where it comes from. But uh, I want to share just a couple things, just a, a few rules of what I call daddy's rules for dating my daughter, okay? So if a guy, young man comes, and again, you may want to take a few notes because this could help you out. Let me just share five of them with you really quick. Rule number one uh, is what I would say to a young man. If you pull into my driveway and honk your horn, you better be delivering a package because you're sure not picking anything up. That's rule number one. Rule number two, you do not touch my daughter in front of me. You may glance at her so long as you do not peer at anything below her neck. If... If you cannot keep your eyes or hands off my daughter's body, I will remove them. All right. <laughs> Rule number three. I'm aware that it's considered fashionable for young men of your age to wear their trousers so loosely that they appear to be falling off their hips. Please don't take this as an insult, but you and all of your friends are complete idiots. <laughs> yeah. Still, I want you to know that I'm a fair and open-minded guy. All right. Rule number four, I have no doubt you are a popular guy with many opportunities to date other girls. This is fine with me as long as it is okay with my daughter. Otherwise, let me just say, once you have gone out with my little girl, you will continue to date no one but her until she is finished with you. (laughs) If you make her cry, I will make you cry. All right. And the last rule, rule number five, this is really some practical stuff here. Very, not very biblical, but practical. All right, rule number five. The following places are not appropriate for a date with my daughter. Places where there are beds, sofas, or anything softer than a wooden stool. <laughs> places where there's darkness, places where there's dancing, holding hands, or happiness of any kind. <laughs> Hockey games are okay. Senior citizen homes are even better. So there you go. There, there's some rules. But I share those with you because... In this area of moral challenge, moral temptation, purity issues, uh, just quite honestly, we have to have rules in place in our lives if we're going to win this battle. I mean, we just got to. 
We just got to. Scripture tells us we're going to read an incredible example from a hero today. But we have got to have some, some kind of ironclad rules in our lives that we say we're not going to violate these rules so that we can win the battle, win the war of temptation that fights against us in the area of, of moral purity. And so in just a few moments, you, you can be, I'm going to start reading from Genesis chapter 39. If you do have a Bible or, uh, or something, electronic Bible you want to turn to, look at, look it up. You can get ready to go there, Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to look at uh, just an amazing hero. An incredible hero. I don't know about you, but I love to study heroes. And the Bible's full of a lot of great heroes. There's, it's full of heroes that had great successes and had some really low lows. We're going to look today at an individual that had incredible successes and his strength and, and just who he was. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. He was an amazing hero, and he was an underdog. He was an underdog. He came from difficult situations, difficult places, kind of doing it right, trying to be honorable young man, all those kind of things. And it was one of those situations where even though he fought through all the difficulty, he became this incredible hero that God used in this area of, of dealing with moral purity and sexual temptation and, and stuff like that. So we're going we're gonna to kind of look at him. And before I jump in to Genesis 39, let me give you the backstory real quick because we won't read about this. Joseph... Was, here's the backstory on Joseph. He was a young adult who had incredible vision for God. He had big dreams. He dreamed big dreams. He, at times, would articulate his big dreams that he felt God had given him. And uh, other people close to him thought he was arrogant. His brothers were jealous of him. His brothers watched their dads, their, Joseph's father, their, their fathers, uh, what they saw as favoritism towards Joseph, and they became really jealous. So they went away on a trip, and the, bro the brothers actually plotted to kill Joseph, but instead of killing him, they decided to throw him into a pit and sell him into servitude. And they decided they are going to go back and tell their father that Joseph was attacked and killed and, and brought back this cloak that he had, this coat, and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was this whole scheme. So meanwhile, Joseph's in the pit. He's brought up out of the pit as a young man with vision, believes he's doing it God's way. He gets sold into servitude, basically servanthood or slavery, into an individual's house by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar was a leader in Pharaoh's army. He was, one of the, he was called a captain of the guard. He had great influence. He had great treasure. He had great responsibility. And so we pick up the story as Joseph has been sold into servitude and he's serving in Potiphar's house. And we pick up in Genesis 39 and verse 1. So if you're ready for God's word, say, I'm ready. Thanks. When Jesus was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Wow. Verse 6, so, Joseph, so Potiphar excuse me, gave Joseph complete, everybody say complete, complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't need to worry about a thing except what kind of food he would eat, what kind of food and drink he would eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you. 
because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God, Joseph says. Verse 10, she kept pressuring, putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Wow. What a story. What an incredible story. Listen, feel the pause that's in the room even right now as we describe this real-life hero in this area of dealing with temptation, the era of, of moral purity. Joseph um, was a man of integrity. He was a man of character. He was a man of great ethics. He was an individual that was, that was so committed to doing it right. He was so committed to honoring God. And I want to say that for all of us that are, that are at church this weekend, that are watching this message, I want us to understand from this account in Scripture that we just read, you may be here and you are so committed to doing it God's way. And you are committed to living in character, committed to living in integrity, committed to honoring God in your life, and you want to do it God's way, and you're doing really well, and you're tracking and honoring God. I want us to understand from, that, from this event that we just read, even those of us that are in that camp, we still have to be prepared. We will face temptation in this area, right? doesn't matter how honorable we are doesn't matter how godly or how much integrity we have, because of this event that we study, this incredible hero, we still have to be ready that this temptation is going to come into our lives. So if you are a student, a young person in this room, you will face this, this temptation. If you are a young adult or a single adult in this room, you will face this temptation. If you are a married adult that has an incredible marriage right now, you, men and women, will face this temptation. If you are an older adult or a grandparent, a single adult, any age, any season of life, brand new Christ follower or new to the faith, if you are a Christian leader that has led people for many years, all of us will face this area of temptation. Got it? Say got it. Turn to the person next to you and say, I guess this is for me. Go ahead and tell them that. Turn to the person on the other side you didn't want to talk to. Go ahead. Tell them the same thing. This is for me. That's right. It is. So we're going to do a quick case study for about five minutes on Joseph. And uh, I encourage you to take notes. I always encourage you to take notes. I think there's some really uh, great information. We're just going to look at Joseph's life just in these few passages of Scripture, these few verses, and really see how did he do it? What did he have to do to win the battle in this area so that he could be the person that God God wanted him to be. So some of these things, the first thing we'll look at, we talked about last week, the first thing in this case study that we notice is that Joseph resisted and he said no. Joseph resisted and flat out he just said no. We talked about this in week one and week two, but it starts there. It starts there. We know it's very simple, and we talked about how simple it is, but you notice whether it's Jesus in the wilderness, whether it's week one of the series of thin ice, now in week three it keeps coming up, that there's just this bottom line that you always got to be willing to say no. No, I resist. I'm not going to do it. And we see that in verse number 8. The second thing, and just looking at Joseph in this case study, it's just an amazing hero. Joseph told her, Joseph told Potiphar's wife, told her why it was wrong, and he spoke the consequences. Watch this. Notice this. It's really intriguing to see, and especially in this area of temptation that's morally, that's attacks our morality, our purity, that's so dangerous 
and affects all of us and can have such a grip on people. Joseph told Potiphar's wife while it was wrong and he spoke the consequences. He said to her, I cannot do this. We cannot do this. My master, your husband, has given me responsibility over his entire household, over all of his, all of his affairs. This would be wrong to do. It's not the right thing to do. And then finally, you heard his, his biggest consequence. He said, this would be a sin against God. He says, I'm not going to ruin my relationship with God over this. At the end of the day, in this area, just know that Joseph had this passionate desire to please God. And it was one of those things that he acted on and he said, you know what, I'm not going to do it because ultimately it would be a sin against God. I want us to know that at times we've got to speak out what the consequences are. Write out, journal it out. Here's what might happen. Here's what would ruin. Here's what the train wreck would look like if I went there. I guarantee you it'll be an incredible deterrent to me and to all of us if we get used to start doing that when we face temptation. And all of a sudden, we'll, we'll just, I think we're going to be stronger because we'll look at it and say, it's not worth it. It's not worth it, and people will agree with us. Accountability friends, life group friends, as we talk about it. The next thing I notice is that Joseph resisted, and he said no many times over. Not just once. The Scripture said she continued to come to him day after day. She continued to come to him, and he continually resisted day after day. This is one of those areas of temptation that will never stop coming after us. He'll never stop. And so one of, the, one of the core values that we see in Joseph's life that we want to be in our lives is that we don't think that we get to say no once or twice and then it won't be a problem anymore. But we just kind of mentally and in our heart prepare that day after day and week after week and at different occasions, sometimes when we least expect it, we just got to be willing to say no. Another thing I see in Joseph's life is Joseph tried, he tried to avoid tempting situations. Everybody say avoid. Avoid. Verse 10 says, after she was doing this, he eventually tried to keep himself away from her. He eventually tried to keep himself away from the situation. He made wise choices. Wise choices. Everybody say the word proximity. There's something about the idea of proximity that goes into effect here and has a powerful force that we need to stay out of proximity to the things that feed the temptation in our lives to dishonor God in this area. Proximity simply means I get too close, I get around it, and it starts affecting me. And there's wisdom we see in what Joseph does when, he, when it says in Scripture, he did his best to stay away from her, to stay out of her way. It's wise decisions. So there's things that in our lives that you and I may have proximity towards and close to, in our rooms, on our website, in the internet, in our, in our favorites list, or in our DVD collection, or whatever it might be. And we've just got to get away from that proximity. And we've got to make wise choices. We've got to make wise choices. I've been uh, reading a little bit about Billy Graham, who's a hero of the faith, one of my heroes. And one of the things about Billy Graham, when he traveled, especially internationally, but anytime he traveled, he traveled all the time all over the world preaching the good news. Most of the time, he would go into the hotel room and he would call down to the front desk and say, I need a maintenance person to come remove the TV. Billy Graham, been married dozens of years, always faithful to his wife, incredible family. And he called on the front desk and the front desk would say, oh, yes, Mr. Graham, we'll, we'll turn off the, the pay-per-view movies. He said, no, that's not what I asked for. I need a maintenance person to come to the room and I need him to remove the TV out of my room. Now, I bet that was embarrassing at times. 
I bet that was something that the, the front desk thought, why in the world would somebody do that? And it wasn't because he was struggling with impurity. It was because he didn't want proximity. He didn't want to give the enemy time when he was alone, traveling by himself without his wife and family, for the enemy to get a foothold. Some people look at it and say, oh, come on, he's so strong. Why do you have to do that? He did it because he's smart. He did it because he's wise. And it's an incredible thing. This series is called Thin Ice. Let me ask you the question. Is it wiser to try to make a determination of is the ice thick enough to walk out and hold you? Or is it wiser to just stay off thin ice? Right? It's just smarter to stay off, isn't it? It's smarter not to go out. And so Joseph, man, he was one of these individuals. The last thing I would say, that kind of a key point today, is Joseph ran away as fast as possible. He ran away as fast as possible. Don't miss this, church. Um, you may be able to handle temptation with character, with integrity, with godliness, with trustworthiness, holding to the standards that you've committed to in your life. You may be able to do it as right as it can be done. And I hope you are. I hope, we will, we, I hope that's one of the results of this series. We will continue and we will begin to handle temptation the way God wants us to handle it. But let me just tell you, just clear as a bell, that when we do it right and when we do it with God's honor and integrity and all that kind of stuff, there will still be moments when we need to run. There will still be opportunities and times when we just need to get away. We just need to get away. We just need to remove ourselves from the situation. Even when we're doing it right, even when we're trying to honor God, there's these moments that, and we just got to prepare for it. It doesn't mean that we're weak when we get away. It means that we are wise when we get away. It means that we remove ourselves from the situation, and it's one of those things that Joseph, a single young man, handsome, strong, and there's never been married, there's a woman throwing herself at him. I mean, understand the temptation that that is for a single, handsome young man. And he makes the decision, you know what, I've stood strong as long as I can, I am out of here. I've got to remove myself from the situation. So let's, let's read a couple other verses and then we'll kind of we'll wind down here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Isn't that interesting? Do you know one of the devil's lies to us is, oh, nobody else is pressured like I am. Oh, man, nobody else had the upbringing I had or went through what I had, so temptation for me in this area is really so much harder. That's just a lie. It's a lie. Scripture says it's a lie. So one of the things we do is we kind of take the ground and we level it. Everybody, everybody, I know because we don't, we don't have it worse. Everybody faces these kind of temptations. And God is faithful. Everybody say faithful. faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. What a great verse. That is an amazing, amazing verse. It talks of two things. God's incredible love for us. His incredible love. Did you see what it said? God will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can endure. And even when we're tempted, just like for Joseph, he will provide an opportunity to get out. An opportunity to run to remove ourselves from the situation. That's because he loves us. He wants the best for us. He's pulling for us. It's an amazing verse, and it's true. And if we grab onto it and we believe it, there's a second part of the verse that's super important to understand as well. And it's this. It's a verse that calls us to a really high standard. 
It says that since God provides a way out all the time, there's never an excuse or an exempt card for giving in to sin. It's quiet in here. It's probably quiet online. I understand. But there is never an excuse. We don't have an exempt card that says God understands why I keep falling in this area. It's just not there. Actually, the Scripture says the opposite. I give you a way out. I love you so much. My power is there for you. And since there's a way out, and there's always, always, always a way out, boy, God, this is a high standard. You want me to never fall, to never give in to this area of temptation. What, what, a, what a really, really strong challenge. So I'm going to give you four takeaways um, that I think, and they speak specifically to this, this area of temptation that we're referring to this weekend, okay? And so again, I encourage you, this, you, you may want to jot these down, and they're specifically designed and intended to help us win the battle, to win the war, to, to kind of know that we're ready for the challenge that is coming, right? It is coming. It is coming. Maybe it's present in our lives right now. But I just want to give you these takeaways that I think will just be an incredible resource and practical if we apply them. So here we go. The first takeaway I want to share with you is this. It's really important to have consistent exposure to and application of the Word of God. Everybody say application. application. Applic- say it louder. Come on, church. Application. application. Thanks. It's really important that we have consistent exposure to just what we're doing right now and then application. It's one of the reasons we encourage you to jot things down, that during the week you'd journal about it and think about it and you would make these, you'd take application to what God's Word is saying to your lives and it's just really key. Another takeaway is that we would learn to win the battle in the moment. In the moment. It's this, this is one of those areas of temptation that we can't wait on for later that we can't hope we get better at later. That we, we've got to win the battle right there, right then. We've got to stop right then. We've got to run right then. We've got to resist right then. We can't let it build up. We, it's not like some other areas. And hopefully we'd win the battle in all areas in the moment. But this one's key. That right there, right in the moment, there's times, there's moments that come up where we just got to get out of it. We've got to run. We've got to flee. We've got to change. We've got to shut something down. We've got to bring a thought captive, whatever it is. We win the battle in the moment. A third takeaway, and I want you to hear my heart on this, is is that we would take careful notice of the downfalls of others. Take careful notice. And and let me hear my heart on this. Any one of us is susceptible to falling in this area. Every person person that's watching, every person that's in the room, every person that's listening, we, we we are susceptible to this. And you may be sitting and listening and be a part of this message and you can think of times in your life where you had a downfall in this area. You know somebody you love, somebody that's close to you. Take notice. Take inventory. Look at the damage. Look at what's caused. Look at the havoc that, gets re- that just gets wreaked in people's lives. Take notice. You know, that's one of the things, you remember the movie The Passion of the Christ? It rocked so many people's world because it was so dramatic at what really happened to Jesus and the beatings and going to the cross and people were just kind of rattled because it was, it was visual. They saw it happen. And in this area that we just take notice. Pastor Rob and I, uh, when we were young leaders, 21, 22, just finishing up at Bible College, we, were, uh, we had a front row seat to one of the largest Christian, most successful Christian leaders 
of our nation back in the late 80s that failed, it just failed really bad in the area of moral purity. And we were in a confession service. They called all the employees, all the Bible college students together and into this auditorium. And, and our Christian leader got up that had influenced millions. I mean, incredible gifted Christian leader. And he confessed to sin in the area of moral purity. And we watched over the next few months of the train wreck and the havoc that was created in people's lives. And what happened at that church and what happened in that ministry and what happened to friends turning against each other and, and all the different things that came out of just giving into this area. And I want to tell you, as a young Christian leader, it marked me. I mean, it impacted me. I thought, God, I don't want this. I don't want to be one of those Christian leaders that, that, that acts like we're above it or we're too good or something like that. I want to stay humble and say, God, I want your best. I want to trust you in this area. So just be careful. The, the last takeaway is this. Daily soul searching marked by humility. Everybody say the word humility. Humility before God. We encourage everybody in the church to be a part of SOAP. Uh, it's just a daily Bible reading and devotional and journaling kind of deal. And it's just great scripture. I was reading it this morning. Great scripture today. It's really important that we do this on a daily basis. And here's what I mean. Soul searching marked by humility. Humility goes back to that first scripture we read when we started this passage, this, this message. The verse, here's humility before God. God, today I realize I have a sinful nature. I realize that my flesh is strong. I realize that if I'm left to myself, I could drop the ball, I could mess up, and I could make choices that do not honor you. But God, I want the Spirit, I want your Holy Spirit to move in my life today. God, I want your word to rise up in my life today. I want you to bring back to my memory the things I need to know so that I can say no to temptation when it comes my way. Not if, but when. And we don't do this prayer, this soul searching that says, oh God, thank you that I've got it all together. Amen. I hope you have as good a day as I will. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we shouldn't do that. It should be this marked by humility before God. God, I love you. God, I need you in my life. God, touch, touch my heart. I thought about this week, how should we wrap up this three-week series on temptation called Thin Ice? Because it's a big challenge. There's a lot going on. We finish with a message that's, 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 that's a difficult one at times to process through, and there's a lot going on in our minds and our hearts right now. And maybe we should finish it. Should we finish it and just say, hey, it's going to be a battle, church. Hang in there. I hope you make it, you know? No, we're not going to finish it that way. I feel like God just laid on my heart this week this simple verse, and this is how we're going to finish it. We're going to finish it by reading Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's read it out loud together, church. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Wow. We're going to finish this series, and we're going to make a choice to believe that verse. We believe that verse. We believe it. We believe not in our strength, but through Christ who gives us strength, we can do all things. We can overcome. We can be victorious. There is hope in this area because Christ is in operation in our lives. So if we do it, if we humbly come before him and say, God, I know in myself, I'm going to drop the ball if I leave it to my strength. But God, in your strength operating in my life, there is hope. 
And I'm not going to listen to thoughts of discouragement and depression that say I can't rise above it. God, I will rise above it because of your strength and operation in my life. God, you are faithful. So church, let's choose to believe that verse. Let's choose to receive it, believe it, own it, and be encouraged by it.